Hello and welcome to the Inclusion Experience. My name's Rob, my pronouns are he and him. I'm a teacher, teacher trainer and training consultant and I'm studying the psychology of learning. Hi, I'm Lacazis. My pronouns are she and her. I'm an English and Portuguese teacher, a public service interpreter and certified translator. And currently I'm studying website design for language courses. Cool. Are you looking at accessibility for websites after last week? Definitely. Accessibility, Excellent. inclusion, Excellent. Ma materials that, re that reflect the different needs and the different characteristics of people. I think the greatest thing about designing your own things is that you can put a lot of thought into the things yep. that really matter. Yep. And make it right for people, which is what exactly. this is all about. Uh, so the inclusion experience is uh, a podcast about um, the experiences of teachers and specifically teachers who have experienced particular kinds of exclusion or disadvantage, whether in the form of disability, perhaps, or learning difficulties, or being a member of a group who gets treated uh, in an unequal way, one way or another, at least some of the time. Um, so this week, we're going to be talking to Awad, who is Muslim. And uh, we're going to be learning about his experiences as a teacher of English. But before we get to that, we've got some listener feedback. Are you looking forward to this, Lacazis? Definitely. This is like my favourite part, because it's where people say nice things. I could tell. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> yeah, so we, as, as before, we've had lots of nice, friendly comments and likes and all that good stuff. You know, all the, all the social media reacts are coming in. Um, I've had a new comment. Uh, this is actually a comment responding to episode one. Uh, coming in from my fellow Celta and Delta tutor, uh, Neil McCutcheon, uh, who was uh, uh, listened to episode one with Sal, and he said, it's distinctive and timely. I liked what you said about tolerance as opposed to being celebrated. Made me reflect on the connotations of tolerance, always used with something negative. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And Sal was saying, I don't want to be tolerated. I want to be celebrated. I, um, what do you think, Lacazis? Is that how you feel about tolerance? I don't like the term tolerance very much because if you're tolerating something, it means you're putting up with it. Yes, exactly. It's, it's also, I don't like the term accepting either mm. because if you're accepting something, it just means you are in a position of power. Mm. Like you have the option of not accepting and then saying <laughs> it's not okay. Yeah, as opposed to like it or lump it, which isn't acceptance at all. <laughs> I think I, I was thinking about this. Like, I, I certainly I agree with Sal in disliking the idea of tolerating people. Like, we can do a lot better than merely tolerating other human beings. We should be celebrating and appreciating other human beings. When it comes to behaviour, I think... Some we need to... But we need to tolerate some of them. Well, I think there's a place for tolerating behaviour, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you know, supposing my, my next-door neighbour uh, smokes large amounts of weed... Um, just, you know, hypothetically, uh, of course, this would never happen in real life. You know, the smell's coming through the walls. So sometimes I can smell in, in this imaginary universe, right? I can smell uh, weed in my apartment, but it doesn't happen very often, right? It's not constant. It's not making me sick. It's not disgusting. It's just like, oh, yes, they're smoking weed again, right? So this isn't particularly nice, but it's not a big enough deal for me to make a fuss about it, you know? I'm not going to go around and knock on their door and say, hey, guys, you're smoking too much weed, you know? Because it's like, just, I don't, it's not that important, right? It's not making me sick. 
is not making my wife sick. So uh, I could just let it go. Mm -hmm. You know, that's tolerance. But that doesn't mean I tolerate them. I'm just tolerating this thing that they're doing, which could be a bit annoying, but it's not that big a deal, right? That's live and let live. But if I meet them, I hope I do better than tolerate them. I hope I will be nice to them and celebrate them and appreciate them as human beings. That's not tolerance. I think the main issue with people who talk about tolerance is that they feel like they hold some kind of power. (laughs) Like their values are so good and so right that (laughs) they are in a position to just reject the others. And that's why I don't like the idea of Mm. tolerance. Right. Who tolerates who? It's like the powerful tolerating the less powerful and not the other way around. (laughs) And it, it also means that if you're tolerating someone, it means that what they're doing somehow is not right. Mm. Or at least it's causing you annoyance. Which it might do, but then this is something you want to keep to yourself. Right. You can't say, I tolerate you, and then <laughs> think that it's a positive thing, because what you're telling the person is, I'm okay with who you are. Even though you're an but- asshole. <laughs> Yeah, I see that. And totally. oftentimes the, the asshole is the person thinking that they are in a position to say they tolerate something or someone not. Mm. Yeah, and that's a really helpful perspective because, of course, you know, here's me, the sort of straight white guy, you know. Sort of, <laughs> I'm in a position of power nearly all the time. Uh, so it's, it's really helpful for me to be reminded of what it feels like to be the person who's sometimes in a position of less power. I often don't know what that feels like. So speaking of which, well, I don't know. Is it speaking of which? Not particularly. Um, but let's move on to the next bit of feedback. This was a message from Doreen Stoller, who's a teacher in Germany. Also an interpreter. She's uh, one of your clan, like Aziz. And she writes... The multilingual ninjas. Yes, exactly. Uh, she writes, I love the podcast. All caps, no punctuation. She actually wrote all caps, no punctuation. Uh, <laughs> so clearly this is a thing now. She says... I really love the perspective of the podcast, i.e. its focus on inclusion rather than on exclusion, without the moral pointing finger. I have to say, personally, occasionally, in my mind, there is a bit of a moral pointing finger. But it's mostly pointing at people who are not making an effort, right? (laughs) So if you're listening to this podcast, I probably don't mean you. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I guess it's in the back of my mind, right? It's not like, I'm not saying, oh, these people are bad. I'm just saying, like, okay, here's how to do it better. Could do better. Yes, let's, let's find out how to do better for all of us. And so she continues, in two episodes, I already learned a lot, although I always consider myself a rather inclusive person. And I love the casual and chatty atmosphere. Makes me almost feel as if I was part of the conversation. Doreen, you are part of the conversation. You're in our hearts. Finally, she adds, the funny thing. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, she the next has bit. Subscribed Go on, you read it, you read it. <laughs> the funny thing is that. I've subscribed to Custer's new letter for ages, and I love her content. I didn't know she was blind. There you go. That's just what Kirsty was saying. I mean, why would you raise the subject if it's not relevant to what you're talking about? You know, for accessibility, Amazing. it's important. But if we're listening to the wisdoms of Kirsty, then we don't need to know whether she's blind. doesn't matter. By the way, if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at the Training XP. And on Facebook and LinkedIn at The Training Experience, uh, the links are in the show notes. So please do drop us a line with feedback about the show 
And maybe we'll give you a shout out next time. Especially if you say nice things. Exactly. Although, I mean... Only if you say nice things. Well, no, we haven't had much constructive criticism yet, but uh, if we get it, I'll, I'll share that too. I think that's fascinating. So, as I mentioned before, today we're going to talk about working with students and colleagues who are Muslim. And we're going to talk to Awad, who teaches English as a foreign language and is Muslim. So we do have a whole bunch of questions for Awad. But before we get to that, let's Google it first. So there are almost two billion Muslims, about a quarter of the world's population. It's the second biggest religion after Christianity. I actually did not know that. Yeah, huge. People often think of Islam as a West Asian religion, which of course it is, just like Christianity. But in fact, the countries with the largest numbers of Muslims are Indonesia, Pakistan, India and Nigeria. So West Asian cultures or Arab cultures are not even particularly representative of Islam as a whole. And in fact, I was just I was just checking the numbers like just those four countries have like a, a majority of, of the Muslims in the world. There's like almost a billion Muslims just right there. That's amazing. Even before you get to the Maghreb. But even if you think within a within West Asian cultures, the countries are just so different from each other and their right. behaviors and yep. their culture and everything that if you want to boil things down to what it actually means to be a Muslim. It's really hard. It would be very, very difficult. Yes. So that's what I was going to say. Just like Christianity, it's a very broad religious grouping. And within those two billion people, you can find a vast number of different cultures and different ways of being Muslim. So apart from a few very basic bits of theology, which we probably won't get into today, there's very little we could say that would be true of all Muslims in the world. For example, some but not all Muslims avoid alcohol and might prefer not to go to pubs. Some but not all Muslim cultures separate men and women in ways that are less common in most of Europe. Some but not all Muslim cultures are more socially conservative on average than the UK, but there are plenty of social conservatives here too. And some of the cliches about, say, restrictive laws in Saudi Arabia, well, that's a really extreme example, and actually only representative of a tiny minority of Muslims of the world as a whole. So, you might wonder why being Muslim could lead to exclusion or disadvantage when it's so common, but in Europe and many other regions, Muslims are a minority, and sadly, throughout Europe, there are some people who see Muslims as outsiders and Islam as an alien or even hostile religion. In some settings, Islamophobia, as it's called, is one of the most socially accepted forms of racism, and in the UK, it can be seen in a wide range of media and across the political spectrum. Which is a really, really sad thing yep. and it seems like unfortunately bad news gets more reach than good things mm -hmm. so if there's one negative thing or in one country things are done in a certain way that is automatically associated with everybody mm -hmm. which is utterly unfair um so i'm originally from brazil it's where i grew where i was born and i grew up and Back home in Brazil, we have a very small community of Muslims. Um, in my hometown, I can't really think of not much about Muslims or having people from Muslim countries or things like that. It's really, really rare. I went to a really big university and I only remember having the opportunity of having one classmate who was a Muslim. So this means a lot of the time where I was brought up and raised, all we know about Muslims and about Muslim cultures is what we see on TV. 
So my mother, for example, thought that being a Muslim was a synonym for being Arab. Mm -hmm. So she first came to the UK, she was marveled to see that there were black women like herself right. who were Muslims yep. and wore the hijab. And to her, it was, I think it was one of the most beautiful things she had ever seen. Like, how um, is this possible? <laughs> she's black and she's wearing a hijab. Like, and then I said, just don't point at people. <laughs> but then we could go throughout, through our whole lives without really meeting any Muslims. So to me, it was really interesting to have had the opportunity to move abroad and to meet people who were Muslims because that's a really good way to take the stereotype and mm. just see that it's so incredibly wrong on so many levels. I think I am very lucky to have met people who are very well-traveled, um, who are interested in culture, and that is true of the Muslims I've met and the non-Muslims. Um, London is an, an especially yeah. is, a, is London is especially good for that. To me, the most striking thing when I think of the Muslims I've met nowadays is that some of them have become really important in my life, hmm. and it has absolutely nothing to do with the religion itself, but with the people. So it, I think that that's true that you can be from a different culture and from a different background but still share a lot in common. Um, Awad, for example, is yes. an amazing, much, much loved English teacher who's been in charge of helping students from all over the world to build their confidence and their skills. And when we were colleagues, every student who came from Awad's class to my class spoke very highly of him. And an interesting thing is that I've never heard any comments of any of them about him being or not being a Muslim. It's really just about the incredible person that he is. To me, Awad is a very special colleague. He's helped me Im immensely with my professional life here in London. And I think that it's just coming to think about it we might have more in common with people from different cultures than we think. And when we meet someone who's Muslim or Christian, that's only one dimension of who they are. And it might be really, really different from what we see on TV and read on the news and what we hear from the accounts of other people as well. So I think it's very important to keep an open mind and give ourselves an opportunity to challenge these stereotypes. It certainly worked out really well for me. What an introduction. Awad, how are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling like um, she's just really, um, like she's really very over generous with her was towards me. And, and I really appreciate uh, every everything that she said about me. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I had her as a colleague. I mean, she, she supports me and others more than she actually realizes you know so the I feeling is mutual the feeling is mutual yes oh that's very sweet <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no great pressure to meet you. thank you uh, thank you so much for joining great us to today. meet you both yes very interesting discussion i enjoyed that well uh let's hear a bit about you tell us something about yourself awad tell us about uh your life and your experience who are you who's awad and um, this is the second time i've been really faced 
with that question um, the first time was when I was doing an interesting course with um, uh, a wonderful teacher since the subject is about teachers uh, his name is Ben Giddens from Burbank University he, uh, I will talk about him later on but he did a topic about this and I, I, I was really I don't normally look inwards about who I am I just do what I am if mm. that makes sense totally. um, so really it's, it's, it's an interesting question for me so my name is Awad um, Awad means uh, a blessed replacement because my mother she had a still birth and she called me Awad oh. on the hope that she keeps me oh. in it. yes <laughs> So yes, um, my pronouns are he, uh, him. Um, I teach. I'm a teacher. I teach uh, English, um, history, um, government and politics, and Arabic. Ooh, cool. Yes. <clears throat> my life, uh, very brief. Briefly, I came here very young, from uh, originally from Eritrea, and then to Sudan, and then here. Um, oh. My mum, she thought that I will have a better future with her uh, cousins here, who was married already and settled so she kind of adopted me uh, adopted mm. me really so um, yeah since then uh, i have been moving all around london mainly um just uh, southeast uh, west london but mainly i see myself a west london boy um so yes and the rest is just teaching <laughs> yes <laughs> oh yeah sorry uh, the, so the the personal with i am married yes uh, i have congratulations yeah. yeah thank you i have two boys <laughs> grown old and two girls yes wow cool yeah four wow <laughs> so you've lived in london pretty much all your life since you were yeah a absolutely it's, it's london and england is all i know really to be right. honest yeah <laughs> and, and you went to school in london as well Yes, I did. Yes, yes. Thinking back to school uh, and to your experience of education and being a learner, um, were there any things that you wish your teachers had asked you about? It depends, really, because uh, teachers and, and, and education goes from like his primary, secondary, college and university. Mm. Um, really, the one that sticks um, in my mind really is just um, during the, um, the primary phase, really, is that there was... Um, Christmas celebrations mm. and um, there, there was a play mm. and, in the school and um, the, just the teachers assumed that I do not want to take part or participate so out oh. of um, respect from, from their point of view they, I was not really um, asked whether I want to be uh, included in the play or not mm. for me I would have liked the options, regardless wh yeah. whether I wanted to be part of the play or not. So it would have been nice to say, you know, I would, uh, would you like to take part in this? Yeah. It's okay if you don't want to take part, but would you like to? So something like that. That's just that's the only thing that sticks from my primary uh, time. Um, yeah. Uh, but there was not really, it, it was unintentional, if you like, exclusion, mm. but... Uh, yeah. Nevertheless, that's that's something that I took from me from very early age, and right. towards my um, yeah. teaching career. Yes, yeah. It's funny you're saying that because you've just reminded me of something that happened last Christmas. We try to organize a meal, and we've got a friend who's a Muslim, and she's just great at organizing everything. I've already told her if I ever get married, she will be in charge of the ceremony, <laughs> and. She kept doing all the things for the Christmas, you know, like getting the turkey and then she made sure we got some halal turkey 
and booking the stuff and everything and it was all very stressful and at one point she texted me and she said i don't even celebrate christmas <laughs> yes. and i am here just doing all this work which is it's a very interesting thing to bear in mind because you might have people in your life who are muslim but they might want to attend a, an event that's christian just because that's an opportunity to spend time with their friends mm. yes uh, i mean as the introduction said about uh, let's google it that was very interesting to from rob to note that um although the basic theology is um common amongst all Muslim as it is among all Christians and Judaism and all other religions, they have a common uh, base of theology. But the actual practices and cultures and expectations and behaviors is, is, is quite um, diverse. Yep. So it's, it's a really important introduction that to, to note that with people, don't assume a conformity and uniformity within uh, yeah. individual person that you're facing. Take, just take them as they are an individual human being, yes. Yeah. Do you remember any times when a teacher made you feel like you weren't really welcome as a Muslim in their class? Or was there something a teacher did that made you feel specially included or celebrated? I'm not going to create drama out of nothing. I was really one of the luckiest uh, people, to be honest. You know, I was, I don't know what the reasons are, but I always felt love around me you know uh, apart from obviously right. ignorant people in the street sometimes right. but within the social interactions and context i really yeah. ha didn't have much um, direct exclusions or or there were subtle kind of behaviors throughout my my life but not really directly um, apart from one that i felt that it was actually a direct um, uh, exclusion or discrimination if you like that was in my um, university uh, time in Berbick, um one particular teacher, she she's, mm -hmm. um, and this is because now I'm older, I was older there and I was visibly with a beard and all that kind of things. Mm. Uh, there's an assumption within, uh, it is a, was, I would say, more than religious than gender, but, and I just felt that she always excluded me in the, um, uh, in, in, in the discussions and, and, and comments, she was harsher mm. than usual. Really, sometimes I was just rubbished my opinions, and uh, even though mm. another person would say the same yeah. thing, as she praises it, um, so these kind of things. But equally, from the same from the same university, anyway, at that time, it was an equally uh, Canadian uh, teacher, a lovely man, and also Ben uh, Ben Giddens. Those two, they just always um, were keen. To listen to what I have to say, um, give me equal uh, weight, like others, no special treatment. If it was a good opinion, they will say that it was good. If it, there was a defect in my opinion, they will say it clearly. So I felt like I wasn't really treated any way special, but really equal to my peers. And those two yeah. teachers, from all of my um, learning um, experiences, they just stuck in my mind, and I really. I'm really always grateful to them, and I'm still in touch with them till the, till this day. Yes, yeah. One thing that that you made me think here is it's so difficult when you see that someone is prejudiced against you, and they don't 
voice that, but you can see that in little things that mm. they say and do. I think that's the worst kind of discrimination because it's all just in there. It's in the atmosphere. You can exactly. feel exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. But you can't do anything about it. Yeah, because it's so you hard to prove. Address it. Yes. If you yes. can't address it in any way. It is it's not tangible, but it is mm. like I said, subtle. I mean this is the nearest to something tangible um discrimination. Actually there was another um incident which uh, which reflected tangible evidence of this discrimination. So in one of my essays um uh, both um uh the Canadian my Canadian tutor and Ben Giddens both marked my essays consistently um uh, past one and she marked my first time with her when i just after i transferred from them she marked the same category of history and everything she marked me as uh past two two which is i was absolutely mm. shocked in my system you know mm. so yeah no this is not all of it listen to what she said to me i said please let me help me to improve what was wrong she said to me that you write with an authority implying that oh God. implying that this is not How my piece. dare you <laughs> <laughs> i said okay thank you very much i'll take i'll take that into account i'll try to improve i did not argue because it's not my style so yes um yeah that, that was to? really a big shock to my system really yeah she didn't use the word uppity did she <laughs> <laughs> she might as well have used it <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Oof, yeah, I see what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yes, uh, yeah, but I, 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 I didn't really, uh, I didn't really hold any grudges or anything. I just know that those things exist, but it, it just makes you think. It's just what, what? I don't think she was really a prejudice against Muslims per se, but she, she perceives Muslims, uh, uh, especially of my appearance, would have certain opinion of women, mm. which is not really favorable or, or. Or respectful, which is that's an, a, a really a bad assumption to think about a, a person. But just because they belong to a social group, right? You 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 just assume that they hold everything within that social group, whether it is true or not, um, yep. is true to that person. Yeah, you know. Uh, I think yeah. uh, for me, really, my I was brought up by my mother. You know, my mother was um, uh, Eritrean. Uh, my mm. dad is Sudanese, so I was really. That's why I say Ben Giddens made me face this uh, internal struggles within me about yeah. my family history. So my mother, she's from Eritrea. She is Christian, Orthodox Christian. And mm. My dad wasn't in my life uh, pretty much all my life. He wasn't in my life basically. So my mom was yeah. my queen, my professor, my <laughs> upbringer, Aww. my everything. So, so she was she was everything for me really, uh, and. Um, and she always taught me this simple. She was very devout Christian, extremely devout. But she always said to me that, listen, my son, <laughs> it's very simple. Uh, she wasn't really highly educated lady, but for me, she was my professor, really. She said to me, listen, my son, you know, uh, she said to me, uh, Moses with his followers, Jesus with his followers, Muhammad with his followers, and we are people, and people are made for people. We are not beasts. That's what she always tells me. <laughs> so it's, it's a lovely way to say that. Look, you know, you just don't look at those things. Look at the person that you're dealing with. Yeah. Yes. But I think a very challenging thing with 
people who behave like this professor of yours is that they are doing the very best they can, given who they are and what they know. And we need to acknowledge that certain things people do and say are not okay, that certain assumptions are not fair, and that this affects how much people feel included and respected, you know? Yes. And it's difficult because we don't want to be the ones causing problems. I mm. think a lot of the discomfort comes from the fact that you don't, you don't want to, to be the one who's annoying and who's getting angry and complaining about everything. Exactly. But it's so important that we do because otherwise we never take people out of their comfort zone mm. and we don't give them an opportunity to think about their actions and actually see that they, that they can do better. I think, uh, like Jesus, I have to introduce you to my eldest daughter, uh, May, May Mona. She is, um, you will love her because that's how she speaks to me. You know, I say, Baba, Aww. you should have said something. I said, uh, no, um, <laughs> I, I'm here for, for a purpose and I'll achieve my purpose. If I'm going to say anything, maybe in the feedback, but mm. I'm not going to cause conflicts within mm. the learning environment because I was a teacher then, even then. And I really, really uh, believe that the teaching environment has to be very harmonious. Uh, take all the conflict out, but not within the, the teaching environment, yes. Would you say the world needs both kinds of people? The ones who cause conflict and the ones... I think nowadays um, our systems uh, really, have, they have come a long way, really. They, we have wonderful systems in place to address this kind of grievances. Um, it is up to the person to take these systems, but quite often from what I hear from people, they don't really reach uh, a good resolution from this kind of um, mechanism that are in place, and it just causes more aggravation for the person. And then the objective that they, are, they want to achieve is not achieved, and it causes them extra problems. So I don't know what the mm. solutions are, but mm. I think um, my daughter yeah. will agree 100% with you, like Aces, in everything you said. <laughs> she's a troublemaker too. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure she's class as that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of teaching and the teaching environment, like, as a teacher who, as you put it, is sort of, we could say, visibly Muslim, like, I mean, whether or not people know that about you, people must look at you and think, okay, our world's a Muslim, also from your name. Mm. So... Like, thinking of, of your experience as a teacher, what kind of challenges have you faced that might not affect your non-Muslim colleagues? Again, it, it is a subtle behavior, really, rather than actually um, mm. uh, outright discrimination. Uh, it's just that it's like, like Aza said, it's, it's in the environment, you know, the vibes, so yes. to speak, you know. Um, if you do walk yeah. in, um, in a room, for example, for myself, there are all my colleagues were women. And then the environment, I will feel that it does change. There's a pause, and then the sharp intake of breath. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, so I always feel that I had um, to work, you know, extra hard mm. to make them feel at ease with themselves. And it mm. takes time, but once they get to know me, so to speak, I mean, to be honest, it is true of every. Uh, new person regardless of their faith or color yes. that if they come to a new environment 
there's always that um uncomfortable pause but i think the pause with me is longer than others <laughs> right right so oh, that's yeah. what i feel yes i remember i remember talking to a new teacher in a staff room one time and i was sort of i said to her i was pointed to one of the celta tutors who worked at that school and i said oh yeah that's uh what's her name um she'll talk to you when you've been here for six months <laughs> <laughs> it was slightly unfair, but there was an element of truth in it. <laughs> but it's interesting what you said about preconceptions, because, again, if you are a Brazilian who was brought up in my hometown of Belo Horizonte, you will probably not have met many Muslims, which means when you meet, Muslim, meet Muslims for the first time, you have a lot of information that you've received and that might result in different preconceptions. Like my mum, for example, thought that Muslims were all Arab. Mm -hmm. With AK-47s. <laughs> true that, true that. True that. Exactly. If you watch the movies. <laughs> yeah, especially in the last two decades. Yeah. Or Kamal, actually. <laughs> But the point is, the preconceptions are not the problem. I think the main problem is what you do about them and what is going to take you to actually give that person a chance mm. or to give yourself a chance to view things differently. And I think that perhaps that's what we need to work on the most. Mm. It's actually, it's, it's absolutely true. And also, um, as Rob was asking me the question, I mean, that was my experience. Uh, but also, it's the collective action. When I go, I walk into the room, um, they have, um, all my colleagues are female. They, that pause will be longer for a while until I interact and I show them who I yeah. am. But it is really, what really struck me is the consensus within that group. There's no one person say, oh, hang on. I'm going to make that person more included and more feel at ease. That actually, there was a collective kind of um, behaving towards me, which is really, I found that quite striking, you know. Mm. What, what I think, though, is that is not how your students perceive you. No, not at all. I've taught three of your female students, and they absolutely loved you. <laughs> And when we had the ESOL exams, I had a fourth one who was not my student, but who was in the room I was invigilating. Mm. First thing she says to me when she sees me, I want to have class with Howard again. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>. bless her. <laughs> Is he going to be my teacher again? Uh, I mean, um, yes, it's a different experience when, when you, are, you are a figure of an authority uh, rather than be an equal peer. Then the dynamics of that power relations, if you like, changes dramatically, yes. Mm. Do you find it important or even relevant to disclose your religion to students? Or do they guess? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, very good question. Um, um, I think really here, my professor and my, the woman that I really idolize, my mother, she really taught me that, look, um, faith is, is a It's actually very English, to be honest, what she taught me, that <laughs> faith is is very personal matter. Mm. You know, it is who you connect with the with the meta metaphysical world. You know, so this is for you, basically. She mm. just tell me, you know, you need to, to 
interact and and feel the people with their humanities you know so for me it was really, really never an issue to declare who i am i'd actually i will leave it to the assumptions of people you know if they uh, do ask me and then i will uh, answer them but just generally i just dig deep deep into the humanity of the people in front of me whether they are my my, uh, my colleagues or or my students you know but for me, uh, faith has always been a, a person. But growing up, growing up here as well, that really uh, married well with what my mum taught me. So, faith has always been a personal issue uh, uh, to me. So I never really actually declare it, and I just deal with people who who I am. And if they see who I am and they like it, then I am very grateful. If they not then I hope if it's the defects in my character, I hope I'll improve it. If it's from their side, then, you know, I hope they improve it. Yeah. It's really interesting to hear you say that and thinking about it, because, I mean, I'm an Orthodox Christian, and I almost never say that to my students. Oh. Because, okay. right, because. Oh, yeah. Exactly, right? I've known Lacazis for years. She didn't even know that about me. I almost never say this to, to my students because... All of the things that you might think, okay, this person is an Orthodox Christian, therefore X, Y, Z, nearly all of those things are not true for me. Probably not true for a lot of Orthodox Christians, right? But, uh, you know, I mean, some of the stereotypes are more or less justified, but they're all wrong for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I sort of, like, as you say, it's not relevant. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really have any bearing on what we do in the classroom. And uh, almost everything that you might imagine would be incorrect when applied to me. And, you know, don't get me started on how I feel about some of my esteemed co-religionists. Like, mm. you know, yes. there are some issues there. But, yes. uh, yeah. but I have the option of keeping that totally private. Exactly. Because yeah. I don't have special yeah. clothes I wear to say, hello, I'm an Orthodox Christian. I don't need to wear anything different. Um, you know, nobody asks me. I'm a, I'm a white dude, so nobody checks, nobody <laughs> assumes. There's, I can, and also there's nothing on the news about uh, orthodox Yeah, well, occasionally there is, and when there is, it's not necessarily wonderful either. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I have the choice of keeping that totally secret. Nobody exactly. needs to know. Exactly. Whereas being a Muslim, yes. sometimes... Yeah. You, you can't hide the fact, it's even in your though face. it doesn't come up it's in, in your face. Exactly, it's in your yeah. face. From ethnicity, people assume yeah. it. Um, many Muslims have clothes that yeah. mark them out as Muslim in one way or another. So you, you get seen as a Muslim, whether or not you announce it to the world, and that's not something that you can necessarily opt out of. Whereas exactly. I'm totally free to opt out of that. Nobody needs to know I'm an Orthodox yeah. Christian, but you can't help people knowing you're a Muslim. Exactly. And I think this is a good yeah. point, uh, reflecting back to my childhood and um, especially in the primary and even the secondary, to be honest. Um, the name Awad is quite unique if you don't see the surname. So they don't really, yeah. they can't really tell much from the name itself. So obviously then I was beardless and I was, um, um, I was not as um, um, spiritual as I am now. Mm. I, I was spiritual through very difficult times of my life that... Um, illnesses and other stuff uh, but then growing as a young person uh, like you said i was really just seen uh, more as a black individual mm. than a muslim yes but you this is a very interesting point that you make yeah. uh, yes but and so bearing that in mind um how do your non-muslim students respond to you uh, this is good now the question comes like we say that it moves from me being an equal peer to my uh, 
colleagues and now this is um, my students uh, i am their teacher i have authority over them they see me as a figure of authority so it's, it's totally different the dynamics but um even with some of them i had um, to work harder and obviously not only with um again there was not just uh, anything that is um tangible but i can see that they hold him back they still the yeah. jury is out with this guy sort of thing you know <laughs> so um, with those ones i had to really um work extra hard um to to feel them really look you're dealing with a another human just forget right. everything else and once they actually start interacting with you and they see that how how much you really want to help them i think all this um apprehension apprehensions that they might have or any uh, misgivings that they might have they would just they would all disappear yes yeah. but there were equally some they were just from the beginning um just very welcoming and i'm not just saying this to you like it's just because the people i'm going to mention they actually most of them brazilians they are <laughs> such lovely ah! people you know they just they they don't really see Aww. anything they just i always say brazilians are like me and it, weirdly enough i always love brazil because of football of course but brazilian culture yeah. culture but they are just um they don't have that in inhibitions about what is this person you know what what religion he is i haven't faced yeah. that at all they just totally welcoming Aww. chatting and you know just so yeah it's funny what you're describing with people having this initial sort of rejection towards yes, you yes yes because I think that's something I've experienced as well, but as a non-native speaker. Yes. There's, there's always that moment when you're first starting with a group. Um, and I think that was especially true when I was in Brazil, much yes. more than here in London, where students, they would initially be like, well, but that's not exactly what I wanted <laughs> when I enrolled for the course. But as they see the way you work and what you can offer and just how good a teacher you are and how invested in helping them, it seems like there's a shift in that. Exactly. exactly and I don't exactly. know if that's what's made me work so much harder than other colleagues because, especially when I was starting my career, you know, if you were a white man from the United States or the UK. For example, yes. Regardless of what variant of English you spoke and you turned up at an English school in my hometown, you could do a half-assed job and everyone would be like, oh my God, I am having class with this gringo. I remember being that whereas, teacher. Yes. Uh, <laughs> whereas when I turned up, it was like, oh, well, she looks 16. She's a woman of color. and. She's not a native speaker. So I think that that has made me work much harder yeah. to get the same level of recognition. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly that, yes. I think this is, this, these kind of discriminations, they tend to be subtle, you know, and very difficult to pin down, like uh, Rob yeah. said. So it's very difficult to challenge them. And that's why when we had the recent um, um, racism, institution racism, uh, report that came out and mm. a lot of people would say it was whitewash but you know in fact they were not really wrong because they couldn't find something tangible they could <laughs> quantify you see 
<laughs> it's it's yeah. difficult for them to do that. Yes. Uh, so, they, I mean, they've been a little bit uh, um, expedient, if you like. We, we, you know. <laughs> yes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, they found so, what they wanted to find, but it was very easy for them to choose not yeah. to find. Exactly. 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 Is teacher award different from everyday award? I love books. I always loved books since I was, I don't know, since I started reading as a young child, you know. So what I tend to do, I just don't feel comfortable unless I'm surrounded by books everywhere. And that part of me uh, is a different one that I... I'm always with my student. I'm always tidy. I'm always organized. I'm always focused. I'm, I'm, I'm always suppressing my my own needs for their own needs. So that kind of um, dynamic is different from everyday hours. So I would say that um, I'm pretty much really more or less the same hour in as a teacher, as a person. In fact, really, this is a really good question. I'm just going back to how first... Um, I started teaching. I was actually in secondary school. I started teaching my my classmates and my my sister, and and so on. I just couldn't really get enough of it. And I just every time I teach, uh, I'm always getting that buzz. And I'm also a student. I'm always learning. So I'm always learning. I'm also that's mean I'm always teaching myself. So I'm in an always constant um, cycle of being teacher, student, teacher, student. So. Sometimes that spills over with my own family. So I started like, become like, say, look, we're not your students. <laughs> so, yes. So, yeah, I think <laughs> you it, go it, too much the other way. You yeah. know, yes. I get that. <laughs> so, yeah, it, 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 they, they cross over really. Uh, our the teacher and our the person. Yes. Yeah. They overlap. Yes. Um, I was talking recently to a friend of mine who's a secondary school teacher in a European country. She's gay. And uh, obviously, it's not something she just announces in class one. Hello, everyone, I'm gay. You don't do that any more than you say, hello, everyone, I'm Muslim. Um, but it's not a closely guarded secret. And it's something that some of her students are likely to find out about her sooner or later. And uh, next academic year, for the very first time, she's going to have a class with a very significant proportion of Muslim students. And she was saying to me, like, on the <laughs> one hand... I'm worried that I won't know how to make them feel comfortable and included because I want them to feel like I, you know, living in a, I mean, not even the UK, but a a European country, which is significantly less friendly to Muslims than, for example, London is, Um, you know, really in a country which has laws against being Muslim, literally, (laughs) you know, you know how it is in some places on the continent, like with the hijab and so on, and and rules about what kind of mosque you're allowed to build. Exactly. So... Uh, you know, so she's she's working with a class of students in an environment where she is she's white and looks local and is local, and she's with all these kids who belong to a culture that that is in many ways treated poorly in that society, and also at the same time she's concerned that when they when probably not if when they find out that she's gay, then they're going to be uncomfortable with that as well. So it's like she's asking. How can I make them feel accepted, but also how can I make sure they accept me? And how do I bridge this divide? Which I thought was a very interesting question. Mm. And I very, what very advice question. you'd have. Like, like, what can we do as teachers um, to make sure our Muslim students feel comfortable and also to, to bridge a divide between our students and identities that might, at least stereotypically, be seen as uh, things that Muslims wouldn't be so comfortable with? 
I think that there are two um, ways that we can uh, really make sure that not only the students are comfortable, but uh, our colleague that she will be uh, taking this new experience, she is comfortable. Mm. And I think that the role of the institutions are very important in educating both the students and the teachers about the mutual respect, mm. uh, about really, this. you shouldn't really in any way mistreat the other person because of yep. their uh, who they are or their sexuality their religion their race or anything yep. really you are here this is a, yeah. this is an, an institution of learning you come in here to learn period mm. okay and i think really sanctions are very important as much as um the role of the teacher uh, himself or herself or they themselves uh, how they deal with this is i would advise all teachers like my mother advised me, bring your humanity, your love of humanity to these people. Mm. And that will really trans transcend any differences. This is the only thing that you can do. This is what I always, yeah. um, there was always my method with, not only with my students, but in life in general. Let people see who you are. Mm. Yeah. You know, because my mother also taught me that, look, my son, you cannot fake sincerity. Yeah. Sincerity cannot be fake. Be sincere human being. Love humans for who they are. Mm. They will feel it. They will yeah. see it in your eyes. They will see it in your face. They will see it from anything that is coming out of your mouth. You know, if you do that, yeah. they will connect with you, who, no matter who you are. But also, those dual um, actions, they're very important. You know, um, institutions, they need to have education and sanction in place. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then teachers, they need yeah. to just let the humanity flow out of them right they warmth right. they you know their character then i'm sure students will connect yeah. with them no doubt that's a really interesting answer and uh I, yeah. the way i the way i express that idea sometimes is bring your whole self to the class absolutely um, but absolutely. i think that certainly includes bring all your love to yes. the class absolutely. it's interesting i yeah. when she asked that question she uh, she was literally keen to listen to this episode so, <laughs> so as to get this advice. What I said to her was much more political. I said to her, you live in a country where your identity is uh, not only socially but even legally disadvantaged, where the yeah. there are elements of the media and elements of the political spectrum that are pretty much hostile to your identity and which think that you can't really belong in that culture, you have a great deal in common with your Muslim students. Mm. And if you can yeah. come to the classroom showing that you accept them for who they are, you have a much better chance that they will appreciate and recognise that and then equally return that favour by, by appreciating and accepting you for who you are. Exactly. I, I think we have historical yeah. um, uh, precedence in this, what you're saying, Rob, because you, we mm. know the, uh, the human rights movements in America, they started from, um, from the Jewish uh, community grassroots. That's how it started. Right. They're the ones who are keen to help um, the African-American. And there was like a, a common interest between them because they went through the same uh, uh, discrimination, the same you know, uh, exclusions yeah. and everything. So there, there was yeah. really, uh, if you really read, it's very interesting, actually, if you really study the history of female rights, you'll find that the, actually the influence of the Jewish communities to help in the uh, African-American yeah. uh, human rights movement, and also later on the LGBT uh, 
communities also were really all the three triangles I call them they were very strong supporting each other and there was mm. obviously there was some yeah. some discrimination with from uh, these communities but mm. politically they organized together and I right. think that's that's really yeah. important point that you mentioned because when you feel like you have a mutual um, um, discriminatory uh, backgrounds then there must be affiliations between you I guess the key word we're looking for here is empathy. Exactly. Is when you can put yourself in the other person's position and you can see and you can help them to see your view as well. I actually had a group at the school where we used to work together where we had a Muslim, a Muslim mum and a gay student who was he was open about it. He talked about his husband. Um, it was funny because one day I had them all talk about something that was important for them. And the Muslim mom talked about um, the mosque that she goes to. He showed us the gay church that he attended as well. And I, I received very good feedback from them at the end of the course because they both said to me that they felt the, it was very comfortable. And so I think it was because I constantly took steps to make sure no one was doing things that were, that were inappropriate. Exactly. And I think it usually means you have to react very quickly. Yeah. For example, with this Muslim student once, she did, we were supposed to do a presentation. And then at the end of the presentation, the other students were supposed to ask questions. The minute they were allowed to ask her questions, they came up with questions like, is your husband abusive? Or, but are you allowed to drive? Oh my God. And when I heard these two questions, I deemed them both inappropriate right away. So before anything escalated any further or anyone said anything, I just cut them both short by saying, okay, okay. These are off topic and frankly, really, really weird questions. I mean, you've seen her walk to the car with the phone before to pick up the kids. And who on earth would talk about domestic violence just casually in a classroom? Exactly. This is not okay. I don't want that kind of thing in my class, period. The tone was quite friendly, but also quite firm. And I think that it was very good that that happened when they were not in the breakout rooms um, talking to each other because I think it set the tone. So I think a lot of the time when you as a teacher need to be firm with your students, it's important to be firm, but at the same time, try as much as you can to not take things personally or not show anger or mm. any sort of negative feeling and treat whatever needs to be normalized as a normal thing and make sure that your learners understand that. Yeah, that's a really good point, uh, like Aces. And actually, uh, what I would also add to the um, advice for a colleague that is it's that if she is facing some kind of um, discrimination from her students, if you like, or even unpleasant, uh, subtle behavior. The way I always remind myself whenever I'm faced with this, that see the other person who is behaving in an ignorant way as a patient 
you know, someone who is really yeah. ill. Uh, and I am a doctor, so I don't go to hospital. So I, or I start shouting at my patients, you know. <laughs> I just, um, I need to be, yeah. I also need to be patient in, in making sure that I treat the illnesses. And I think that is really easier said than done. But mm-hmm. um, in, when you are actually in the middle of it, it really, really requires a lot of uh, willpower. Yes. To control those urges yeah. to mm-hmm. to to right the wrong that you're facing. And it's hard when it's directed at you. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. As a teacher trainer, yeah. I've had this struggle because, you know, people get exhausted, they get frustrated, they get confused, and then they start sometimes being rude. And exactly. the first reaction is like, how very dare you? you sort of exactly, exactly. <laughs> Take a deep breath and not let that reaction come out and say, yes. okay, well, let's talk about what's happened here. And that's hard enough for me. Exactly. I, you know, I'm I'm the white guy who gets permanently respected and loved by everybody exactly, without having to exactly. basically blink. You know, <laughs> just show up and it's, oh, Rob, he's lovely. Exactly. Like uh, that's, and even I have to find myself suppressing those emotional reactions. And so, if you're actually being, never mind being a teacher trainer, but just mm. being a teacher and have people uh, being being rude and disrespectful, then the amount of self control and willpower it takes to not react and deal with the issue uh i i I admire it greatly it took me a long time to learn absolutely the quicker you react in a way that's effective and calm Mm. the less likely it is to escalate Mm. i think that the main issue with things that are difficult is when we keep it to ourselves and don't address it immediately because that stays and it stays and it's like a pressure cooker yeah exactly yes and so what do you think are the most common mistakes or unhelpful attitudes that we should avoid within any social group although there is a common factor between all of them don't assume this common factor is the identity of that person because these assumptions are deadly really I think if we can educate, I think it should be even in the curriculum, uh, uh, really, that don't assume, mm. because the right now, RE, uh, religious education, is always about the uniform articles of faith and practice within the social group. But there's no really a caveat, uh, really to say, oh, don't assume that everyone um, behave this way or, yeah. or uh, believe this way or anything. So if mm. we bring really the young generations and, and the teachers within even teaching the the pgc to teach them look don't assume don't use the category of religion or lifestyle or sexuality as being the person don't assume mm. this person is because he's uh belong to the muslim faith that he believes in this no don't assume just meet the person meet the person and really just interact with them and then their character will come through to you yeah. and then you can make uh really an educated judgment of that person if you have to make a judgment in any shape or form and to be honest uh, really this is the biggest uh, mistake that a lot of us teachers or human beings do just make assumptions you know don't make assumptions that you know and i really learned this from a great um, professor of mine when i was doing open university course for one year uh, the late uh, Stuart holt i'm sure that um, you both heard of him, a social uh, theorist, one of the biggest in this country, actually. He said that the, the idea of identity is dead. There are no 
um, there is no single identity anymore. They are identities. We all have identities. And we have to manage these uh, identities within us peacefully and, and, and really create that harmonious balance within us. And once you do that, then you will start seeing other people with the same, with the same thing that you are experiencing yourself. You say, okay, that person, uh, I'm not going to assume that he, he has an identity. Okay. Mm -hmm. He could be many things and interesting things. And, uh, and really, and that kind of a variety in people, if we assume, this is the correct assumption, that assume the person in front of you is a variety of person not just one person. Yeah. If you do that, then I think a lot of our problems will go away, really. So what you're saying is perhaps if you want to know something, ask. I mean, you, you, if, uh, if it's out of curiosity, uh, I think it's, it's fine. And for example, one in one of my classes, there was um, one student of mine from Colombia and another one from Kurdistan. And I think the discussion was about uh, maybe culture or uh, women, I'm not sure. But uh, she asked uh, the Colombian student, oh, uh, aren't women really oppressed in your country? And um, this student from Kurdistan, she, she was really taken aback a little bit. So I had to intervene. And it was a genuine question. Mm. Uh, she wasn't really being really disrespectful in any shape or form because I know the person who asked that question. So I said to her, yes, um, it is possible to find that kind of behavior, but there are other people who behave well towards them. Uh, women and you'll find all kind of things within in Kurdistan here everywhere so I just uh, put a context yeah. to it and say that look it's not only located in one area but it is you can find uh, domestic violence pretty much in everywhere. Colombia in everywhere. Brazil in the UK <laughs> exactly, well. exactly but I didn't want to say that uh, but I'm just saying that look look universally don't yeah. look in particular geographical areas and assume that it's always located there my concern about my Muslim students is that I don't think it is every Muslim person's job to educate others about culture and religion and about who they are. Uh, but I do feel like I, as a teacher, have an obligation to do so because in my class, everyone should have a space and everyone should be comfortable and have a voice to learn. So I find that to, to be a bit difficult, this thing with the questions, because I think it's quite similar to what happened in my class as well, because it might be a well-intended question, but it could also be a question that causes discomfort exactly, or that exactly. is asked over and over again. And I'm not sure what the best approach to that is. I think uh, the best approach is that um, the advice that, I received when I did my CELTA course that we were advised to use games a lot in teaching. I don't personally believe that games are suitable as a teaching method for everyone anyway. But uh, the, the tutor told us that avoid using the hangman game. Mm -hmm. And we were yeah. just wondering why. He said that you, because you're teaching uh, English as a foreign language and you have a lot of people who come from areas that. Um, they face very brutal uh, political regimes. They have relatives who have been hanged and so on and so forth. Even that little thing, which didn't really occur to us. And I think it's the same thing that when we actually choosing a topic for discussions in our classes, try to avoid things that could escalate to that kind of questioning. 
So really, that was my uh, mistake, which I learned from, because um, I didn't really see that kind of question really come into the equation, but it did. So if mm -hmm. I do have to choose topics that I could, I, I could envisage that they will cause uh, discomfort to other students, I will put the warning or caveats at the beginning and say, please avoid discussing this, 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 this. So then, Awad, mm -hmm. uh, we're coming to the end now. Uh, what final thoughts do you want to leave us with? What's your uh, provocative invitation to reflect for our listeners to go away and chew on? I would really, again, uh, you can see that how much, um, I'm, I'm sure that every, everybody's mothers mean a lot to them, but for me, she's my professor, like I said. I would just bring her advice here, really, as in, in my final thought. Yeah, really. Just try to see the person in front of you as a person, mm. and mm. Um, really, that's that's just basic advice. If you see that, and you just hold judgments, any judgments or um, previous uh, consumption that you have about this group, person that the group that he belongs to, or she or they belong to, don't don't assume that you know. And I think really, as much as um, um, teacher, a Muslim teacher that facing difficulties we always have to like you said earlier rob that there's always other person who's facing similar difficulties like you the lgbt communities teaching muslims for example here and abroad um for example or um a jewish um, person teaching um uh, muslim uh, students so this these are common and this common difficulties that we have as teachers like like Aza said should create the empathy uh, mm. between us, you know. And also, if we have that collective empathy, maybe we can impact yeah. our students and our students impact their families. And hopefully, yep. we can be a better society, you know. Mm. Amen. Mashallah. Uh, <laughs> well done. <laughs> so, this is it for today. We've had a lovely time with our word. I've been learned a lot. Likewise. It's been a pleasure to have you. Likewise. I want to say thank you to everyone for participating. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, our word. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 To learn more about Awad and his work, you can find him on LinkedIn as Awad Omar Osman Ahmed, link in the show notes. If you're a teacher and you've experienced exclusion or disadvantage in education, whether because of a disability, a learning difficulty, or a group that you belong to, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter at The Training XP and on Facebook and LinkedIn at The Training Experience. This podcast was hosted by Lakaziz Brake and Rob Tesh and produced and published by The Training Experience. The Google It First theme includes audio by George Hopkins and the opening and closing themes are from Carefree and Call for Love, both by Luke Bergs. For links, show notes, and a full transcript of this podcast, or to learn more about the training experience and what we can do to help you and your organization, please visit us at thetrainingexperience.co.uk. And I never